Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Guiding God, without the presence of your Holy Spirit, we would be lost on this Advent journey. Come to us in this place as we gather to hear your word. Open our hearts to receive your word and our minds to understand it. Amen. Our scripture today is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 from the New Revised Standard Version. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to, unto Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. In Bethlehem of Judea, and, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that, had, that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gold, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, as we continue our series on pauses for Advent, we take this idea that um, for some reason our culture thinks that during Christmas time we should ramp up our activities, we should do more, right? I've made the joke uh, over the last couple of weeks that it's not December unless a pastor gets sick. <laughs> and I've been punished for that comment out of the last 10 work days. I've been home in the bed, four of them. Um, uh, on my second round of antibiotics, it's gonna get better soon, right? It's almost like God might be telling me that I should slow down, right? Pauses for Advent. Um, Trevor Hudson's book, uh, Simple Easy, you can get it at Amazon, uh, Pauses for Advent, walks us through a daily devotional, not unlike the Cokesbury, a scripture passage, um, some devotional content, and then a prayer that you can pray uh, for that day. And his whole push is that we slow down, that we pause for a moment, so that we might remember the reason for the season. Our scripture passage today points us towards um, the three kings, which is always so challenging. 
because they weren't kings. They weren't three. <laughs> they weren't from the east, right? How many of the wonderful children's stories can I, um, you know, crush uh, in one sermon, right? Um, you know, it's interesting. There's tradition that's all kind of wrapped up in the story of the three kings. What's fair to say is that what we know about the kings um, is that we do know that they come from the east. We do know that they come bearing gifts. And above all, we know that they seek out a new ruler, the one called King of the Jews. Uh, and in a lot of ways, they're a lot like us because they are seeking. And once they find, they surrender. Uh, I'm telling you, have you been on a pilgrimage before? I, you know, maybe that trip to see all of the baseball stadiums in the, you know, National League, that's, that's a pilgrimage, right? Um, maybe you're on a, a pilgrimage to um, go to all of the um, barbecue places in Brazoria County. That's a pilgrimage if you want to go there, right? Bring along some Tums. Um, some of the other pilgrimage that we see is related more towards religion. I know you're telling me baseball and barbecue is not religion. Who are you, preacher, right? But pilgrimages are powerful. They are journeys for a purpose. Um, you, you ever read those Hallmark cards? You know, the joy is in the journey, not the destination. Yeah, we're talking about pilgrimages, right? That there's something that you learn along the way. Um, I wonder for you, um, those journeys that change us. Um, there's a wonderful Catholic writer who talks about um, every epiphany begins when we, uh, when we start out in ordinary land and we travel to a place that's new called Wonderland. And Wonderland has all of those trappings of Alice and uh, Wonderland, right? Things are not named the same things. They don't act the same way. It's a bizarro kind of land. And then we come back home, but our home is no longer ordinary land because we have been changed. What we instead we call it is newfound land. Because though the home is the same, we have been trans, uh, transformed by the journey and we see the world differently. If you ever remember your kids going on UM Army and they left as teenagers that were insolent and uh, disobedient and ungrateful and they came back, oh my gosh, they loved Jesus and wanted to paint your house again, right? This is a great story of a pilgrimage and a transformation. I remember one pilgrimage that I made. Um, it was, let's see, it was back in like 2005, 2006. I was pastoring in Brazoria, uh, First Methodist, and there was a hurricane coming, and it came up in the Gulf really quickly. I was, I think I was at Methodist Hospital, and I was coming back from making visits, and uh, Amy, my wife, who grew up in Longview, not on the coast, um, called me and said, there's a hurricane. I've got everything packed up. We should go. And I was like, I think it's just a category one. I don't, I mean, like, I, that doesn't disturb my sleep. I, you know, I grew up on the Florida Atlantic coast, and she's like, it's big. And so 45 minutes getting home, right, this is before, um, you know, re really good um, uh, media and um, cell phones and such. Uh, and, and so I get into the house um, just to kind of calm her nerves, and it has, over the 45 minutes, gone from like a category one to like a category three, and the world was going to end. And I was still not convinced that we needed to leave the house. Right? That's just kind of how we roll at the Camerano house growing up. And so she sends me, she's done with me. She's, she says, I've packed both the cars, everything's ready. You go to Subway in Brazoria 
and you get sandwiches because we're going to eat them on the way out as we evacuate. And I'm thinking, this lady's crazy. And so I go to Subway and I, I get in line. And the first thing I notice is the line is like 11 people long. And all of them have everything they own connected to their vehicles in the parking lot. And if you've been to the Brazoria subway, it is not a big parking lot, right? And, and as I'm uh, listening to the chatter of people in front of me, they are talking about how this is the storm to end all storms. They're talking about how they're going to high country. And then the thing that really made it a religious experience was when, when one of the subway workers came out and began to tape the windows of the subway. And I thought, oh my goodness. I started looking at the people in front of me thinking, can I trip them and get in front of them? I mean, like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta bring sandwiches home. I gotta save my family, right? Um, can you see? And then when I got back to the house, my wife was like, wow, you're energized. And I was like, yeah, didn't you know? There's a horrible storm coming. We gotta leave. And she's like, I'm glad you finally like dialed in, right? So the phrase in our family, once I get dialed in, is called, Peter, have you gone to Subway yet? <laughs> right? Because think about it, right? I was in ordinary land. The world was fine. I went to this wonderland, this place where things were named different things and people were doing strange things like evacuating and taping windows. And I came back home. The home was the same, but I had changed. It's an epiphany of an experience. It's a pilgrimage that'll change you. We look at our scripture today. Um, scripture passage talks about um, that the three king, the three magi, um, began their journey because they observed his star at its rising. Right now, um, biblical study tells us this is probably a comet that rises, but the language there in the Greek could be described as at the place of the rising sun, which might be the reason why we refer to uh, the three magi as coming from the east. Um, and if you think about the power of celestial events, right? If you are um, in ancient Near Eastern, um, you know, biblical lands, uh, if you don't have the benefit of some of the technology, the planetarium, you know, the science that we have, um, something explodes in the sky and it must be an omen, right? An omen for good, an omen for evil, but something to follow. And so the Magi, who most believe were from Persia, which was somewhat of a historic enemy of um, uh, Jerusalem, uh, and, and also um, they practice Zoroastrianism there. So the Magi weren't necessarily uh, Jews or Christians, um, but they began to follow. I wonder for you, what are the signs that convince you that it's time to change? What's your go in the subway moment? When does that pilgrimage happen that kind of upsets your apple cart and you are different because of it? I often refer to this as the four Ds, right? This, these kind of things that can disrupt us from our spiritual journey. Uh, they are diagnoses. They are deaths in our family. They are um, divorces. They are things that happen. Um, and we find ourselves disrupted because of them. What are the signs for change? What are the huge omens that happen in your life? And do you notice them? And when you notice them, is it then time to change? The Magi bring gifts, which I think the standard joke goes, you knew they were all men because nobody brought formula or diapers or a crib for the baby, right? <laughs> Instead, it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Um, the gifts that the Magi bring tell us something. Now, most scholars want to make it a big deal about the, the gifts tell us about the giver, right? That the Magi, we could know something about the Magi, right? And then you get all these wonderful Facebook posts about how, you know, um, uh, myrrh and frankincense were used for embalming and gold was for a king. And so these three Magi are coming to the birth, but there's this dual moment of death and they're ready to honor honor the, really, I mean, there's Zoroastrians, right? They saw a comet. Um, all they know is that there's something powerful and beautiful happening. And I think for salvation history, what this tells us is that more than just us noticed that Jesus was born, that there's this recognition that Jesus is king, not just king of the Jews, but king of our lives. I think it's the most salient point about the Magi bringing their gifts is that the Magi don't, the gifts don't tell us about the Magi, the gifts tell us about Jesus and who he is. When we think about the tradition of bringing gifts to the king, you might remember in 1 Kings when the Queen of Sheba visited King Solomon and gave him precious gifts. The scripture says there in uh, chapter 10 verses 2, arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones. The gifts that tell us about Jesus, not necessarily the gifts telling us about the Magi. The Magi's gifts are um, something powerful in the moment. Um, I often like to think as we reflect on the story of the Magi, it makes me think of uh, the poem by T.S. Eliot, Journey of the Magi. Now, if you haven't ever read Journey of the Magi, I encourage you, you Google it um, this afternoon. It is a short, easy, um, plain written uh, poem by T.S. Eliot. There are no hard words to pronounce. There are no strange rhythms uh, that you have to count out. It's just reading the poem as Eliot writes it. And what you get is a picture of Magi who are affected by the journey. I mean, think about it. They set out and risked their fortunes and their reputations to travel afar, only to find that they landed in the uh, realm of a paranoid ruler. Right? Scripture says they went home a different direction because King Herod was out for them. There's one verse in our scripture passage today that says not only King Herod was afraid, but all of Jerusalem with him. I always thought that was hyperbole until you realize the disruption that a new king and a revolution might contain. They traveled to see royalty, the three magi, and they were led to kneel before a baby born of poor parents in an out-of-the-way place in a barn. Right? Think of the journey that the magi make. Um, they must have had dreams and nightmares uh, about this particular journey for the rest of their lives about the time in which they heard angel choruses, about the time in which they saw shepherds bowing down and worshiping a baby in a feeding trough. Could you imagine the impact that could make on someone seeking out Jesus? The Magi tell us a story about seeking and surrendering. And I just wanna encourage you, if you find yourself in a place where you are seeking, uh, where this God thing is important, but you haven't really named who God is yet, uh, that you, you want to do good things and you want to follow uh, in the footsteps of those wise people around you, but you just haven't gotten to the point of saying that Jesus is the God at the top of your pyramid. I, I want to encourage you to keep seeking. 
I would encourage you to start looking for those omens and those moments. Now that's true, I'm not telling you to go out and lay in a field staring up at the stars waiting for a comet to rise. But I do want you to pay attention to what's happening around you. Pay attention to um, what people value and what people love. Figure out what people are seeking. Because I imagine as you start paying attention, you'll start seeing how people seek certain things. And then you might be able to see the signs, that moment where you can say, yeah, Jesus is the one as I seek after him. Now, I also want to say that the Magi teaches about surrender. Um, notice that they give very affluent gifts. We kind of think, okay, if they're kings, they could afford this, right? It's in the royal treasury. But if they're just tarot card readers and astrologists, if they just happen to be priests of an old religion, chances are these were gifts of surrender. This was everything they had. When we surrender to God, it makes us vulnerable, but it also gives God access into our lives. I don't know where uh, you've come from and where you're going today, but um, studies show that people get stuck. They get stuck in their spiritual journey. On that pilgrimage of meaning, something happens and they're stuck. If you find yourself in a place where uh, faith seems to be bland, where there doesn't seem to be clear ideas or clear next steps, I want you to consider surrendering. Just, just giving up, right? Some of us have been arguing for so long for the right way or the other way or this way or that way. Now I sound like a map in Lake Jackson. <laughs> but in so many ways, we have put up our defenses. What would it be like for you to surrender? What would it be like for, uh, like the Magi, for you to kneel before Jesus and offer him gifts of great value? Now, no, this isn't a follow-up to the stewardship campaign. Um, some of the most valuable things that we can offer are our lives, our hearts, our minds, our love, our desire for peace. These are powerful gifts that we could surrender and give to God. You know, I think this whole idea of pilgrimage and journey is powerful. Pilgrimage and journey, how are you changed and when did you know it? What was the comet, the star that was rising when you decided life should look differently. I have a favorite story, and I'm going to end with this today. There's a Spanish story about a father and a son. They had become estranged. The son had ran away, and the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. And finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father puts an ad in the largest Madrid newspaper, the ad read simply, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. This is a powerful story. For me, it's a story that encapsulates the power of a pilgrimage. Sometimes our pilgrimages take us far away from the roots and the places where our lives are settled. On the Saturday following the ad that was placed in the paper, it is said that 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. I just want you to think about the power, and I know it's a preacher story, right? You're gonna to wanna to know what day and what date and what paper and all of the things. Great, we'll research it together, but it's a preacher story. But when you think about what makes this story powerful, he must have debated about going back. 
He couldn't, the son could not have known whether the father would even give him the time of day, much less food to eat or a bed to sleep on. You know, I think about this as a prodigal son story. Prodigal son because of how generous the father was to the wayward son. And we know that the father was waiting and watching. We know that the father was longing to welcome the son back. What are you seeking? Where are you stuck? What's left to surrender? The Magi teach us a story of seeking and surrendering as we go to find the Christ child. May you pause this week. And in that pausing, remember that the Father loves you. And that no matter whether you are seeking or surrendering, maybe it's time to see the star and journey home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.